Good morning, church. Please join with me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Almighty God, give us ears to hear your story in these words of Scripture. Give us eyes to see your story in the faces of those that surround us. And give us faith enough that by your grace, we might serve you until the end of our days. Amen. Our message today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 12 through 25. Hear these words. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see whether perhaps he would find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. He said, he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again, and his disciples heard it. Then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, and he began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, saying is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it into a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him. For they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and if you, do none, if you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, it will be done for you. So I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If, if, if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Forward, UMC. I'm Pastor Thea, and I'm so glad you've decided to participate today in this worship experience. Those of you that are here, actually in the room, those of you joining us online, and for those of you who this might be your very first experience of Chapelwood, I am so very glad that you're here. We're continuing in this sermon series, Five Minutes with Mark, where we've invited encouraged, perhaps challenged you to set aside five, maybe 10 minutes a day to read a chapter in the book of Mark. I want to say again, this is not a series designed to change you, to make you conform, to push you to be more like we by adding this practice to your day, but it is an effort to draw you into the gospel into reading the life of Jesus Christ, of his teaching, of his preaching, of his ministry, of healing, in hopes that you would be drawn closer to God. That by reading these words, by studying and reflecting, praying on who this Jesus is, that you would get to know God in a new and exciting way and that knowledge might lead you to do something new. 
Before we jump into our message today that looks at some of this scripture from the book of Mark, I do want to first stop and pray. Will you pray with me? Holy, good, gracious, and just magnificent God. Thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this place and for this space, for your people willing to come, to share together their excitement, to grow with one another, to learn more about you. And God, most of all, thank you for your willingness to be with us that your presence would be amongst us, that your Holy Spirit would be in this room, that your very breath would be in our lungs to give us life. And God, it's because you are so generous, because you share so much of yourself with us, we can trust that when we come seeking looking, hoping to see you, Lord, we will find you. That when we listen, when we quiet ourselves and the noise around us and seek to hear your voice, you will speak. And God, when we failing humans who just can't seem to be perfect at all, are willing to take just the next step. In faith, you will always lead. And so because of your goodness, because of who you are, we lay down our wills. We surrender our own kingdoms and try with all we have to follow your ways. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Our scripture opens with this scene of Jesus and a fig tree. We read that Jesus is hungry. That means he's in need. That means he is lacking something. He may even be suffering if it's been a while since the last time that he ate. And this hungry Jesus is looking for fruit. Well, that's because fruit is good, and it's good for you. Fruit has substance, it has nutrients, has fiber and vitamins, and some fruit even has hydrating juice. And with all its goodness, all its substance, fruit is also sweet. Now, cupcakes are sweet too. And if I'm really honest, I like a good cupcake. My favorite is when it's still a little warm. It's probably chocolate with a smooth cream cheese icing. And if I'm really lucky, there are little chocolate sprinkles on top. When I bite into that good and sweet cupcake, the cake melts in my mouth. But if I'm honest, after one, or two, and if I dared to have three, I would feel pretty awful. But that never happens when I have a banana. 
It never happens when I have a slice of fresh mango. It doesn't happen when I have juicy pineapple or a sweet ripened strawberry. No, because you see, fruit is good in its own way. It's natural. It's from the earth. There's no processed chemicals, hopefully no GMOs. It's a gift from God. Fruit is so good that Paul uses it as a metaphor for the outcomes of our life with God. That when we are in relationship, closeness with God, that we will produce fruit. Good, sweet things like kindness, forgiveness, patience, and self-control. I understand why Jesus came looking for fruit. And may have been a little disappointed, but that's not what he was able to find. But before we can really figure out what's going on with this fruit, Mark squishes in another story. And we find ourselves in the temple. And we like to assume that Jesus is quite angry as he turns over the tables of the money changers and those who are selling um, animals and livestock for sacrifice. So for the Jewish people in this time, before they could enter into the holy place of worship, they had to be clean from all their sins. And one of the ways they did that was by offering live sacrifices in the forms of livestock, like goats and lambs, maybe even a bird or two. But if you have a lot of sin, or you just have to travel a long way, bringing your own livestock to the temple to make this sacrifice, to make yourself clean and ready to enter into the holy space can be a little inconvenient. And so some people started to sell those sacrificial livestock right there at the temple gate. Now we all know when something is convenient, it comes at a price. And what's happening is these people who are selling these things out of convenience to those who are in need are making a pretty penny. That would be like before we let you into this worship space today, we required you to write a check to atone for all the sins you might have created. That those of you who had a longer list of sins that you would need to write a bigger check. And quite honestly, we might be waiting and depending on those of you with those awfully long list of sins to keep coming and writing a bigger and bigger check. And we wouldn't let you in until we had all that we thought you deserved to pay before you could enter into this sacred space. If this is making you uncomfortable, if the idea that we would charge people any type of cover fee to enter into the place of worship, to experience God firsthand and within community makes you a little sick to your stomach. I think you might understand why we see Jesus angry here. We see him destructive and violent, angry at this irrational behavior. And maybe some of us are like, finally, finally, there's a wrathful God we've been waiting for. Finally, a God who acts a little irrational, Finally, a God who is a little more just like me. That when my anger takes over, I can become destructive. That I can point out all 
of the unrighteousness all around me, and it is justified. Finally, an angry Jesus, and a Jesus who's angry like me. But here's the thing. This word turn that we read, that Jesus turned over the tables, it doesn't mean destroy. It doesn't mean break. It doesn't have any violent connotations at all. Instead, it means something much closer to the word till, like to till up the soil, to till up the land, to break the ground, maybe disrupt some things, but not to destroy, but to bring new life. Those of you who are gardeners, you know that it's not an act of destruction to break the soil, to dig around. Yes, you might have to get dirty. Yes, you might have to disrupt some things, but you're not there to destroy. You're not there in violence and an effort to destruct, but instead to bring new life. Last Sunday, over 40 people from this community stayed for three extra hours after worship to discuss together the life of Chapelwood. From its inception in the 1960s up to things that people experienced that Sunday in church. They listed out, brainstormed, and shared the things that they saw God was doing, the fruit that this community bared. And then they took some time to talk about the challenges. What were the hurdles and the obstacles and maybe even the things they still felt might be in the way today? And if you were a part of that, if you sat in a small table and discussed these things, I think you would agree that was not destructive at all. It wasn't violent or angry. Yeah, might have got a little messy, might have had to uncover a few things, but it was all in an effort to bring something new. And isn't that much more the thing about Jesus? Isn't that what we see Jesus do over and over again? Not destroy, not destruct, not lash out in irrationalism, but instead bring something new. I mean, that's the good news. That's the gospel in its entirety. Because you see, I believe that the Jews at this time had felt that God was distant. They hadn't heard from God in over 400 years, seemingly thinking that, that God was just stepped back, upset, disappointed, possibly standing with God's arms folded and surely wearing a scowl, disappointed angry at all the ways that the people had not proved their righteousness, behaved appropriately, and did what God wanted them to do. They were waiting for God to come with vengeance and wrath, or at minimum on a horse with soldiers to finally take over the day with strength and brute and might. But instead, God chooses to pour God's self 
into the most vulnerable life, a baby. (laughs) And then this baby grows up to be a man without power, without money or fame, but instead is literally just wandering around. And this God doesn't decide to stay distant, doesn't step back, but instead steps in to the lives of God's people, is willing to touch those who are sick, willing to eat with sinners, willing to see those who have been unseen. And this Jesus, this God in the flesh who chooses to dwell amongst us in a new way, even when this Jesus is persecuted and crucified and laid in a grave, surely showing that this humble man will do nothing great. He comes out of that grave, something brand new again, and says, nothing will keep me from my people. Nothing will keep me from this real, in-depth, personal, and intimate relationship that I crave, not sin, not shame, not all your broken rituals and broken rules, not even the grave. Because you see, I am here to do something brand new, which is to give you light and life and to offer you all of eternity. When Jesus' disciples notice this fig tree right after this temple scene, and what I probably assume is them trying to make sense of it all. How are these connected? What's really going on? Jesus, instead of speaking plainly, turns to a little sermon about belief, about how it is our ability to believe in the unseen that might lead us to these magnificent, never-before-dreamed, brand new things. And I thought about how over and over in the book of Mark, we see Jesus use this belief as the thing that makes change. It's belief that the people are healed. It's by belief that the demons are cast out. It's even by belief that a Seraphonician woman's child is healed and saved when she was willing to beg for that grace like a dog under the table. Jesus tells her, it is your faith that has made you well. It is your faith and your belief in that which is not seen that has set you free. Nikki grew up with nominal faith practiced and taught at home, but she had the gift of a grandmother who valued the word and scripture and time with God daily. And Nikki learned that it was this holy scripture was the only foundation she could hold on to, especially when life felt and was a little crazy. She learned early that she could not rely on her own understanding, but could always rely on the word of God. And that faith led her and her family to to join a church, join a community, be a part of something new that fit along with everything her grandmother had taught her. And then one day, surely it feels like by perhaps, Nikki and her family walked into a Methodist church. And there was quite a few things that she felt uncomfortable with. 
It was different. It was new. I mean, they were baptizing babies, and women had this authority to preach and to speak, but Nikki asked questions. She leaned in, and she built relationships within that community that affirmed that God's grace was abound, and that even if things were a little different, this was a place that she could raise and be in connection with her family and community, as well as be led to grow closer to God. And then one day, after Holy Communion, Nikki was at the altar to pray. And she shares that as she was praying, thanking God for forgiveness of sins, of being made clean and whole, that she heard God quite clearly tell her, Nikki, I have something different for you. I have something new. And this is not something that you have earned. It's not something that you are being rewarded because you have been behaving so good. But this is a gift of grace I want to extend to you. Will you take it? And after some prayer and discussions and discernment, about a week later, Nikki shared her own call into pastoral ministry, something she had never seen growing up, something she was told was not appropriate or uh, available to her, something she had never possibly dreamed might be a way that God might move in her life. And because she was willing to believe in this thing unseen, she was willing to start taking those steps and learning more, enrolling in seminary, becoming a licensed local pastor, and on her way to be ordained in the Methodist church. And maybe you can't relate to a young girl's call into pastoral ministry, but I bet you two have done some things that you hadn't seen before. I bet there are some ways that you were willing to take some steps in faith to do something different than all that you had seen before. Maybe you're the first in your family to go to college or even dream of a graduate degree. Maybe unlike the family you were raised in, where manipulation and control and abuse ran rapid, you decided to build a family on love and respect, honor and care. And maybe for you to walk in these doors today is something brand new that you hadn't seen growing up, that this relationship with God would be more than just rules and rituals, but could be something real that led you to understand, to develop, and to create a life brand new. I bet you in some ways your belief has led you to brand new things, magnificent things, things like pushing a mountain into the sea that you never dreamed might be possible. It was only made possible by your belief. It is our belief that heals us. It is our belief that truly sets us free to be ready and available to go on and do these new things. There's a line in our scripture today that we have to talk about. And I'd love it if we could just skip it, because it's really no fun, but it's there. And it's this last line that Jesus throws in after all this talk about belief 
and all the goodness that God is up to, if only we will believe. And he says, stand firm praying, and if you need to forgive one another, do so, so that your Father, God in heaven, may also forgive you. Wait. Isn't our faith, isn't our salvation, isn't our freedom merely tied to our belief? That we don't have to do anything, we don't have to earn it, we don't have to complete some sort of task and checklist. I thought it was only by our faith. But right there, the words of Jesus are very clear. Forgive one another so that you may live forgiven. Here's this thing about resentment, anger, frustration, and a list of all the ways that others have done us wrong. I believe they're just like rocks, boulders, not pebbles, weights that we carry around. And if you've ever done that gardening and how hard it is, how sweaty and dirty you might get, let's add 50 or 100 pounds of rocks to your back and see just how far you get, how much good you might discover, how much fruit you might actually be able to bear. And the thing is, when I am holding on to all that the world has done wrong. When I am keeping a list of all the ways people have hurt me, abused me, manipulated and tried to oppress me, when I am holding on and carrying, unable to forgive, unable to let go, keeping right in front of me all the sins of all the people who are so less righteous than me, my sins, are very apparent too. And that if I can't take the step to let go of your rocks and your sin, how am I ever gonna let go of mine? That's the thing with forgiveness. This word is actually very closely connected to the word drop, let go not easy. It's not what I'm trying to say. It is very, very difficult for me, something I struggle with every single day. And yet, if I believe that God can do all things, that God is a God of goodness, of sweetness, of nourishment, a God who is doing something brand new, even and me and all my weighted down rocks, of the world's sin, then I trust that God can help me there too. Let's pray. Gracious, holy, good and wonderful God, Lord, thank you for this word. Thank you for your holy scriptures. Thank you for these testimonies of your people over and over again, thank you that we have the accounts of the life of Jesus. 
thank you for the ways that you move within this word, that you tell your truth over and over again, as well as point to the truths in us, who we are, where we bear no fruit, where we choose anger and frustration when we refuse to believe that you, the God of all things, all creation, all love, goodness, mercy, and justice could even be doing something new in us. Lord, we your people. We long to know you. We long to follow you. We long to trust that we are loved by you. And so, oh Lord, we will take a step in faith. We will be willing to live into that which is not yet seen and look back at your glory and see all the fruit you continue to bear. It is in your holy and in your gracious and in your heavenly name we pray.